If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. The true magic of this technology is not visualization or simulation, it's transportation. We are able to basically take people from any physical place and instantly bring them together. They can see each other, they can talk to each other, they can hand things to each other, just as if they were co-located in the same physical place. Imagine being able to see, touch, and modify a creative project in real time with collaborators from all over the world from where you are right now. That's exactly what Portland-based immersive technology platform The Wild has made possible. Through virtual and augmented reality, The Wild allows architecture and design professionals to work with team members remotely in real time. And The Wild founder and CEO Gabe Paez says this use of mixed reality or XR can be a game changer when it comes to mobility. Gabe, how did immersive software first capture your imagination as a creative, as something in which you really wanted to apply your talents? Well, it sort of all started for me back in the early 2000s. I was just out of school, and, you know, I was a a software developer, and I just always assumed I would be creating websites or just traditional 2D software, but I got this sort of strange opportunity to develop an interactive coffee table. And this was really prior to, you know, touch screens even being ubiquitous like they are today. And it was an amazing challenge to think through what it was like, not just to create a piece of software, but software that had to take into account the people and their physicality around that piece of software. So on a coffee table, you have people sitting on both sides of the table. And so just coming up with that idea of how those two people or, you know, four people would interact with this this piece of software I was creating and navigate content on it and, you know, share it with each other was just, it immediately captured my imagination and I became obsessed with the cross-section of how, you know, we are as like physical humans in the world and how that coincides with this virtual you know, software that we're creating. And so it started, you know, with just uh, one screen, you know, coffee table, and then it grew to multiple screens and then entire walls and floors and environments, physical environments that had software platforms that I would create, led teams to create, build out over the years. And, you know, and then that sort of bled, we were always driving toward more and more immersion how to make the software feel more and more a part of our physical reality. And when virtual reality and augmented reality, you know, as we know them now really came online, I just knew that this was a a real part of the future that I wanted to work on. And because honestly, I think it's important for the world, I think on many levels, but mostly because I think that, we have to really cross this divide in taking a lot of the power that we've created with the internet and software and really leverage that into not just our minds, not just connecting our minds to that piece, but our bodies and our physicality and our true selves. 
So that's really a cornerstone of my work, all starting with that one interactive coffee table. I'm trying to imagine how that worked. What did that cool interactive coffee table do before we move on? <laughs> so it was actually, it was pretty simple for the lobby of like one of the prudential buildings. So it was just like a, I forget exactly what was on. It was like marketing materials. It was the content, you know, was questionable, but like you could explore what they offer and what they do. Sort of like you get now with kiosks and banks or I don't know, other buildings. But at that time, it was a real novel idea to inject this digital content into like a waiting room. But it was a, you know, really specific installation for this one, this one lobby. We only made one of them, but it was, you know, you think even prior to the iPad or you know, touchscreens even at that scale, the idea of having, you know, an entire TV on its back with a touchscreen across the whole thing was really novel. And understanding how different user experience played out across that screen was really fascinating to me. Fast forward to today with your company, The Wild, how did what you learned with that interactive coffee table wind up being the company that you created? What did you learn that helped you grow that way? Yeah, so, well, it was a long path to get there. I think the first thing, I feel like the first insight I really learned is that, and, you know, I apply this across a lot of my work now, is that when designing immersive software, and I say, like, broadly immersive software, meaning augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, all these different realities that we talk about right now, but just the idea of it being immersive, which I look at, the primary idea is that it's human-centric. It's not device-centric. We're not going to the screen for our information. We are, you know, the software is among us rather than on the other side of something. And so the first insight that I feel like I had was that you have to think of it that way. You have to think of it not as, you know, you have to think of it fundamentally as an experience that plays out and it needs to feel natural not just on the software level, but sort of on the human physical level. So you'll see that play out in the wild in terms of a lot of, you know, we haven't just replicated a lot of the, a lot of the patterns that you see in traditional software where you have basically a pointer and you're clicking on items. You're not clicking inside of the wild, you know, there's a real physicality to how you interact with content in the wild, which is, mirrored off of the way we interact with content in the physical world, which is if there's a button, you know, on the side of a panel or something, you literally reach out and you push that button, just like you would if, you know, you were on an elevator and you reach out and you push that elevator button. That's so ingrained in us, this idea of an object that we see in front of us having a, a physicality to it, like a mass and a tactileness that we really try to replicate that even inside of a virtualized environment like the wild. The second thing, and this is really a core insight that I feel like I had right around the, I guess it was like in 2015, as I started really diving into virtual reality, I went through this whole phase where I was trying to dig into what is, what makes this different, not just cool or unique, but is there something truly transformative about this technology? And at the time, a lot of people were focusing on virtual reality as a means for simulation and visualization. So it's super cool that you can put yourself, you know, inside of something that doesn't 
physically exist. You know, you can create an amazing simulation or a visualization that puts you in this imaginary world. And, and yet I, I sort of wanted to dig past that. Like what's on the other side of that? And to me, what I realized is that the true magic of this technology is not visualization or simulation, it's transportation. It's the ability to transport people, places, and ideas across vast distances instantly with minimal resource consumption. So, like, starting by focusing on the people. You know, what are our options right now? And when you think about the future of transportation, you think about, like, what is to come 10 years from now, you know, in terms of how people will move themselves. A lot of people focus on more efficient forms of transportation, like electric vehicles, autonomous vehicles, even spaceships, you know, like reusable spaceships, public transportation that is, you know, high-speed transportation like the bullet trains, you know. There are all of these forms of moving people physically across the world that are incremental improvements on how people transport their bodies from place to place. But they're not, my argument would be is that they are still resource intensive. They are still time intensive. The creation of those, you know, those vehicles to move people is takes a lot of resources. Still, even bullet trains or very fast vehicles, even spaceships, they are perhaps very fast, but they're, they're not light speed. You know, <laughs> they're, they're still relatively slow in comparison to what we can do on the Internet, you know, where I can move information from point to point across the world instantly in milliseconds. I can take, you know, a book or any sort of piece of content and I can push it to, you know, India or Israel or China. <laughs> and there's just you're not playing on the same playing field. You know, there's a power to that that I want to see play out with people. And so, so you look at what we can do in virtual reality as we push this forward. And, and the amazing thing about it is that as we bring more and more physicality and experiential attributes to platforms like the wild and others, you know, we're able to basically take people from any physical place and instantly bring them together inside of inside of this software and they can see each other. They can talk to each other. They can hand things to each other just as if they were co-located in the same physical place. But, you know, by using a minimal amount of resources and time to make that, that happen. So people are one part of that places are the other part. How do you take, once you have those people and they can go anywhere together, then where do they go? You know, <laughs> You don't want to just put them in a conference room together. I mean, you could put them in a conference room together, but, you you know, we want more than that. And we really have the possibility to take those people and put them anywhere together inside of, you know, and a lot of a big part of this is a lot of technology that's happening around reality capture to where you create a digital twin of physical places or content or products, you know or totally virtual content that you can create and then transport those p 
people to that place. And then the third thing is ideas, like how then do they share not just information like we do on the internet, but new ideas for places and products and visualizing all of our ideas together with, you know, this small community and and these different places in unison. And to me, that is, it's just the transformative aspect that people are starting to understand right now, not only that it's possible, but why it's truly important. And it will reshape the world. And <laughs> I think... I'm just, I'm super excited to be a part of that and contributing what we can with the wild to make this happen as quickly as possible. Because honestly, you know, I do believe we're up against a huge issue now with climate change that is urgent and needs big ideas to solve it. <laughs> and I think, you know, we're right now in the in the COVID crisis. And of course, that also we're seeing how cataclysmic it is and how we need big ideas to move beyond this. So there are a lot of things. There are a lot of big issues coming to a head right now that require this out of the box thinking. And fundamentally, like I said earlier, it's not just these incremental improvements that are really going to move the needle. It's going to have to be real restructuring and rethinking about how business is done, how relationships are built, and fundamentally how we coexist on this planet together in a sustainable, powerful way to move us forward into the next generation. What you've described is very much like doing a conference where you take a book halfway around the world in a matter of seconds. Let's reimagine, though, some of the other reasons we might have transportation and see what they'd be like as virtualized situations. I'd love to have you talk with me a little bit about what it might be like, for example, about a student going away to college or a family gathering in another state or a special event. How could XR make those a better travel experience? Yeah, okay, so let's sort of dig into that. Education, first and foremost, or let's start with education. Because really, it all starts with education <laughs> at the end of the day. So, okay, a huge part of education is understanding it's not just, it's not just how to teach, it's how we learn, how we learn best, right? And I, you know, educators have been struggling with this for many, many years, how, not just how we teach content, but more foundationally, how those students are going to absorb that content. And there are different ways to do it. You know, there's a lot of research that says that experiential learning is, you know, super important. You know, that's why we still do field trips and that's why we do science experiments and, you know, always trying to find ways to activate these new subjects and topics into an experience that you're going to retain not just as a piece of information, but as a memory, you know? And... So that's a big part of it is finding ways to activate this content, not just to make it more interesting to people, but to really cross that divide from just being information that they learn to experiences that they truly understand. So that's a big part of it is creating, utilizing XR to make that a more, not just a novelty in our educational experience where you know, once a month we do this science experiment to a really core part of how we transfer information between people. 
The second piece is access to educators. I mean, we're seeing this now more than ever, of course, like COVID's sort of amplifying this, but we need a better way to distribute information to students. And for sure, right now, my, you know, my kids don't have access to their teacher, really. And we're trying to sort of shim it in with some online learning resources. But it's, I would say, overall, what we're trying to do right now with video conferencing and, you know, posting work on these, you know, content management portals is not, it's not really sufficient. It's not giving the same level of an educational experience that you really get in the classroom and at a school. And, and what's missing, I guess, is the question we have to ask ourselves. Well, there's the community aspect of it. It's very hard to facilitate a classroom on video conferencing, especially with young kids who are used to, you know, talking amongst themselves, even to some extent, that's a part of the process, like breaking into small groups fluidly and working together and, and then the teacher talking and facilitating that social dynamic that really is a core part of education. You need a level of physicality to do that and do that well. And so XR sort of fills in the gaps of that by allowing you to have to basically virtualize the classroom and to allow for any combination of not just students, but instructors. So, you know, you want to, you're doing a subject unit on like, you know, Amazonian frogs, you know, <laughs> and you're to be able to bring in a subject matter expert to talk briefly about that, you know, for 15 minutes or 20 minutes and provide their expertise to the classroom is so much easier and more practical in XR than like trying to fly them across the country and putting them up in a hotel, you know, for one night so that they could give a 15 minute lecture. It's just not going to happen, you know, maybe at an elite college university that has budget to spend, but not, you know, not for an elementary school. <laughs> and so, so yeah, that access to these subject matter experts and, and even just for those subject matter experts, the ability for them to provide, you know, have more reach basically by getting out and being able to transport themselves from class to class and place to place, it gives them a lot more power. And this shows up even in higher levels of education. Like, you know, a lot of work right now is being done with XR and medical research and education, the ability to get those specialists in to do lectures. You're even seeing this play out above education into the hospital environment. There are so many places on our world that don't have access to specialists, you know, doctors that have information in one place and just aren't physically able to be with the patients that need that information in another place. And by virtualizing this transportation process, we are able to create, take that knowledge that a person has in, you know, Houston, Texas, and distribute it all over the world, you know, in a way that is just not practical right now. So in all levels, from elementary school all the way to that level of someone needing a heart procedure in Africa, we're able to take these different people and move them to where they really need to be more efficiently. How might we use XR in other transportation situations as well? 
normally people are going on vacation or going to see family. What are some of the ways that we might do that specifically, perhaps with what you're doing with the wild right now? Yeah, so, well, when we get into our, I really, and the wild is really focused on professionals. And, you know, the wild is really built for environmental designers. So people who design out, you know, physical environments like architects and engineers and interior designers, all of those sorts of professions. And so we create one kind of value for them by allowing to, you know, enabling them to transport themselves as teens into those environments from wherever they physically are and not just visualize them for each other, but, you know, have, we want them to be able to have that experience of walking through those environments when they're in the idea phase all the way through to the construction phase. So really spanning that digital to physical divide of taking an idea that is totally virtual and then moving it into the physical world. Now on the, what you're really mentioning is sort of the, the personal aspect of this. How does XR impact vacations, visiting with family members and even memories to some extent? And I do think that there, there is a lot of potential for impact there. You know, and I think we'll see it play out over time, very similar to how we've seen video conferencing play out over time. Video conferencing really started as a business, you know, primarily used in business and to facilitate remote meetings and you had high-end solutions. And, and then over time, you know, now these days, almost everyone is FaceTiming or even Zooming just to have regular conversations, you know, just to visit with each other. And so I see the very same thing happening with XR as we move into this next generation that moves beyond that screen so that we can visit with family members, not just visit with them, not just talk to them, but play games with them. You know, like you can play a game in video conferencing together, but it's a little bit stilted and odd. It's an entirely other thing to, I mean, not even like fancy, you know, VR games, but even just a board game, like playing checkers, my kids playing checkers with their grandparents who are in, in Maryland. You don't have to be like going on a giant, like fancy quest to have fun together inside of virtual reality. You know, there's something to just sharing space with each other and hanging out that I think is really refreshing, you know, is a great starter way to sort of transform the way we interact together. At the time we spoke in spring of 2020, Gabe and his team had just released a new version of The Wild. We're working on making sure that what we're delivering on The Wild just works really well. I mean, it may sound sort of trite to focus on that. And, you know, we had a whole series of launching new features. And now we're sort of circling back and we're saying, we don't want to just launch new capabilities. Because right now with XR, it's not just about being able to do more and more and more. It's about making sure that what we do, we're doing as good as we possibly can. So what we just launched this morning are core improvements to our audio stack. So making sure that when you talk in the wild, you're extremely clear under many different circumstances. So a part of that has to do with like echo cancellation and the efficiency with which we're streaming audio between devices, making sure that as you move in and out of spaces in the wild, the audio always maintains clarity, like it doesn't glitch in and out, you know, it's sort of those, it's funny, like, I really feel like it's those core 
pieces of functionality that are going to make the difference for a lot of especially non-technical users because you just want to go in and you want to hear each other. You know, at the very basics, the core element of it. So that was a big part of it. Another thing is our whole content management system. We did a major refactoring of to just build up the user experience of it, how you move content around, how you bring content into the wild, how you share that, what the experience of sharing the wild with other people is. You know, that needs to be excellent, of course. Like if you invite someone to the wild and what is their experience of getting that invitation, downloading our software, you know, registering, getting into it, the nuts and bolts of just like your first moment experiencing what we've created. And so I'm super excited about it. Like I, I get really jazzed about anything that just involves a core part of the experience that we push out. And so this was a big one for us. Gabe, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. It was good to talk to you. You and I have been listening to Gabe Paez, founder and CEO of immersive technology platform, The Wild. You'll find more information on The Wild and the ways they make VR and AR remote collaboration possible at thewild.com. That's thewild.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.